Welcome back to the Vermont Conversation. We're continuing our discussion about goings-on under the Golden Dome in Montpelier and around the state. In the aftermath of police killings of people of color around the country, there has been a renewed focus on policing and criminal justice reform. Here to talk about this and other issues is Senator Dick Sears. He is the senator from Bennington County and the chair of the Vermont Senate Judiciary Committee. He was first elected to the Senate in 1992 and is now serving out his 15th term in office. Senator Dick Sears, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Well, thank you, David. Pleasure to be here. So let me just start by getting your reaction to the events that have followed in the aftermath of the killing of George Floyd and the protests around the country and around the state. Well, you know, I've watched with great um, empathy for what's happened. Um, We have been working for over years trying to deal with some of these problems, but I, I think that sometimes uh, the public leads us, um, sometimes we lead. I think this is one of those cases where the public got behind efforts to reform our law enforcement, some of our law enforcement practices, um, and I think the legislature heard that, and that was part of the reason for the reaction, but I, I will say that, um, you know, even a few years ago, we created uh, a special commission on racial disparities in the criminal and juvenile justice systems. Um, we relied heavily on the executive director for racial equity in the state um, and on the Human Rights Commission. So it's not like we haven't dealt with these issues, but this certainly made the uh, effort um, all the more urgent, in my view. Talk about uh, the, uh, I believe it's S-219, the criminal justice reform bill that just passed. Uh, I guess it goes, well, you can tell us where that's at and what's in it. Right. It's in the uh, Senate. Um, It's on its way to the governor, and uh, I assume he's going to sign it. I didn't hear any opposition from him. Um, The bill uh, provides, there was... It was when we were dealing with it in Senate Judiciary, it had a four part, uh, four major parts to it. One was the uh, racial data collection. Two was the use of deadly force. Three was requirement for body cameras and then uh, banning improper restraints. Um, and while we don't define it as a chokehold, you know, it's certainly uh, what's described within the language um, using uh terms regarding uh, not interfering with somebody's ability to breathe during a, a restraint. Um, during the, the discussions that we had with the House, uh, they didn't feel that they would have time in that short a period of time to deal with the uh, use of deadly force portion of the bill, so we took that out and put it into S-119, which passed the Senate but needs to have be addressed by the House. What is uh, in that use of deadly force uh, well, language now? Well, I think the main two issues that um, are in the bill, um, basically two words. One is necessary, and the second is proportionality. 
And by necessary, if you think about the George Floyd case and even Rashad Brooks, you had a case where an individual um, was accused of uh, passing a $20 counterfeit bill. Um, And that's proportional to what eventually was a killing and a death sentence. Certainly not in anybody's eyes. So proportionality and necessity. Necessary would be, is there a danger to the public? You take Rassad Brooks down in Atlanta, where um, the officer, uh, for 45 minutes, they were in discussions with him. They knew that he was intoxicated. They had performed um, a a breathalyzer on him. And um, the issue became, uh, now they were going to arrest him. And if you look at the restraint uh, that I've seen on TV anyway, and didn't look very proper to me, they weren't really prepared for it. He fought back a little bit and uh, was able to grab one of their tasers, and the officer shot him in the back uh, twice. Um, and um, then the officer also, the third shot, hit a uh, car. Luckily, it didn't hurt anyone, but the car you know, had a bullet through it that was waiting in the Wendy's line. So, you know, you had a case there where, again, was it necessary to protect the public um, from death or serious injury, and was it proportional to the offense? Um, I know that, you know, police officers have to make split-second decisions. Somebody has a weapon, they're holding that weapon. Um, For example, there was a case in Arlington where, um, Vermont, where police officers were at a domestic violence scene, somebody was shooting at them. Yes, that's, you know, that's when it's necessary to both protect uh, others and to um, protect themselves. But these two cases highlight the lack of the necessity for it, we would judge, as well as the proportionality of it. Now, as I understand it, the uh, the reform legislation passed by the legislature only applies to the state police. It does not apply to local police forces? No, everything except for the body cameras applies to everyone in law enforcement, sheriffs, um, the entire group. What The body camera, I, when we develop the policies that we've already got, and they will be improved on and, and part, as part of the bill, um, the, those will apply to every law enforcement officer in the state, whether they're a state trooper or not. We made the body camera part of the, uh, do we have body cameras, part of the requirement for state police. We're hopeful that local departments and sheriffs that don't have them will be able to obtain them through federal grants that we hope are coming as part of the federal program. Hmm. The, what difference passed, do you think that... I think uh, it's the house. And what difference do you think that? What difference do you think uh, body cams will make? Well, I think it makes a huge difference. Um, we obviously, I don't believe we've seen the body cameras from the Floyd case, but I know that the uh, attorney general in Minnesota has, and they were conclusive in in the charges that were brought against the four officers. I know that in many cases body cameras will also exonerate a police officer who's accused of wrongdoing because there's a picture of it. We know that through um, trooper cams or dash cams in, in state police cruisers, 
many times people who are charged with drunk driving uh, after they see the, the video of themselves will plead guilty. Um, so it, it, it cuts both ways. And I think that um, given the technology that's available, uh, and I agree that we need, we need better policies on when to turn it on and when to turn it off, but certainly it will help. One of the questions I wanted to get at was the issue of the change in Vermont's prison population. Yeah. Um, I know that this has been an issue of concern to you and that, in fact, uh, as a result of concerns with COVID, uh, some prisoners were being released and yep. we hit a, a low point in May, but now the prison population is rising again. So talk yep. a little bit about what is going well, on there. Well, there's two two things going on. One is a surge that we expected once you um, kind of open the spigot, as the governor likes to say. Um, many people who were um, presenting problems in the community and uh, who were released are now again presenting problems in the community. and are um, So there, that's some incarceration. We had greatly reduced the number of prisoners. We were down below 1,400. And uh, that's statewide as well as out of state. And we had been at around 1,700 before the pandemic hit. So um, many of those people are now um, returning. And we had hoped to um, cut back on that with some of the money that we provided within the CARES Act funding to provide for community programs and increase in housing increase in battery intervention programs and other things. So we're still hopeful as part of our, um, before the pandemic and back in January, we introduced justice reinvestment too, and we're continuing to work on that. And I've just passed, um, the house of representatives, uh, a few weeks, uh, actually about a week ago. And that bill, um, hopes to help to reduce prison population even more through uh, the reinstitution of good time and some other um, efforts um, at um, firming up our furlough policies. And as I said, providing uh, programming in the community that um, helps to address some of the folks who really don't need to be incarcerated. There's obviously a, a group that will always need to be incarcerated who are hardcore offenders violent offenders who are a danger to themselves or others. But there remain some people who would do better in the community. <clears throat> there's also, um, obviously, as we were talking about racial disparities, there's racial disparities within the criminal justice system, within our correction system as well. And those that are um, incarcerated, uh, people of color, are much higher rates. And we, um, one of the things with justice reinvestment and other efforts is to try to find out why and getting better information. Um, one of the problems in Vermont is our information and our data systems are uh, archaic and need to be upgraded badly so that uh, when the Justice Center of the Council of State Governments came in to help inform us on the justice reinvestment process, there are data driven group, trying to obtain some of the data was very difficult as to who was being incarcerated and why. 
I want to ask about uh, policing in uh, your home community of Bennington is uh, kind of emblematic of some of the problems that we face. There was just this week a settlement of a case brought by a gentleman named Shamel Alexander. Right. 2013 case, he was pulled over for a broken taillight, uh, and instead of the... uh, uh, there being no real suspicion of a crime, uh, Mr. Alexander was arrested on a drug offense. Uh, he yep. sued, and uh, there was, uh, as a result of that, um, there was a cash settlement made. And there was a study recently done at the Bennington Police uh, that found that two in five residents don't trust the police, one in five reports being discriminated against, and 22 of 24 Bennington officers were found to have disproportionately targeted black people in police stops. So, um, we've got a long way to go. And, uh, you know, I will say this for Bennington. uh, um, They did have that study done. They are acting on those 25 recommendations and they have um, placed a contract with Curtis Reed of Brattleboro, who is helping to implement those. Um, we are trying to move forward. We, and when I say we, I mean Bennington, the community is trying to move forward. I think we have to look at, it's just not Bennington, it's other police departments and most police departments as well. And one of the things that they did find was that warrior mentality. Um, and that's something that needs to change um, within uh, our law enforcement community. How, you know, that's when probably they, some of the most... International, pardon me, it was the International Chiefs of Police Association. Um, right. You know, I know that there have been... A, actually, that's not the only case. The one that you just brought up is not the only case where there have been um, allegations of racial bias um, that where lawsuits have been placed and people have been um, released. There, but it also went through the court... I mean, I must say, it also we need reform throughout this criminal justice system, not just with law enforcement. Um, that, and that would include sheriffs. That would include, obviously, the state police, any law enforcement, as well as our state's attorneys, our, um, uh, as I said earlier, the correction system, etc. What do you think it's going to take? I think you know, so many people have the feeling. Uh, with this latest round of police killings, that we have been here before, we have talked about the need for change before, and somehow change doesn't happen. We see the same things well, happening again yeah, I and again. Think some, sometimes, and I'm old enough to remember, you know, My Lie Massacre and things like that, when certain things come out, certain visual um, pictures, um, you think of Bull Connor back in Alabama, in Birmingham, um, I believe it was Birmingham, Alabama, um, beating protesters with dogs and so forth and fire hoses on peaceful protesters. Those visuals bring about change, and a lot of change occurs because of that. And I think that the visual of a police officer uh, kneeling on the neck of a man and watching him die, along with three fellow officers, pretty much guarding uh, his ability to kill that gentleman, uh, Mr. Floyd. And um, that is an image that stays with people. Um, and, and, you know, I I think it's transformative. Hmm. Um, 
what makes you think this time uh, we'll see some lasting change, and what do you hope some key big changes, system <coughs> changes, can be here in Vermont that we can see get through? Well, I, I think that one of the things that um, in in S two nineteen there are some um, uh, looking at the future as part of the um, effort. Uh, in the House in the legislative intent section, which is section one of the bill, which I didn't discuss, where we talk about what we are going to be doing in the future. And uh, I think that things like um, continuing to work on this issue, it's not over, it's just the beginning. Um, We need to continue to um, take actions that will help improve our Policing, keep Vermont, you know, Vermont is one of the safest states in the nation. We need to keep it that way. But at the same time, we need to make sure that our our policing um, is done in the most professional manner and with the the best um, we can. And uh, I think Bennington is a good example of a community that... Um, saw some things it didn't like and is now beginning to try to make changes. Will we be successful? I don't know. But uh, I'll say this for Bennington, at least we're trying and we're not hiding behind something else. And I've, I've gotten some resistance from some in law enforcement to these efforts, and it's disappointing. Um, finally, Senator Sears, uh, you know, I mentioned at the top uh, you were uh, just finished. You're in the middle of your 15th term. Well, uh, I think it's the 14th, but I'll... 14th? Uh, well, okay. yeah. yeah. Okay, 14th. So I, I assume you're running for re-election for a 15th term? I am. Well? Yep, I am. Uh, what keeps you coming back? Why do you uh, Why do you do this job? And, um, and uh, well, what do you, what do you I, hope that you'll accomplish? Partly is, uh, partly is obviously why anybody runs. I mean, it... it we feel like you feel like you can make some a difference and you feel like you can make improvements. And um, I look at what things were like 30 years ago or 28 years ago when I first came in, and I do think that Vermont has made steady progress. Um, but for the future, one of the things uh, as far as judiciary goes, so we'll continue to focus if I'm back in the same place um, as chair of judiciary will continue to focus on these issues of racial equality mm-hmm. we'll focus on prison reform um, mm-hmm. you know we're the first in the nation really to raise the age of juveniles that's been kind of lost in all of this um, today 18 uh, year olds who do not commit one of the most heinous crimes the big 12 as we call them, will be okay. um, we're, we're going to have to court. leave it there we're we're at a time uh, here, but Senator Sears, I want to thank you for joining us on the Vermont Conversation. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you, David, and have a good one. Okay. That does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. You can hear this in all shows at vermontconversation.com. Tune in next Wednesday at 1 for another Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening.